The Rural Health Voice, Episode 91, Transition from Nursing. Welcome to The Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. Why do nurses decide to go into other fields? Tiffany Turner from Apple Shop joined me to discuss her transition from nursing to community engagement. Well, hello, Tiffany. Well, hello there. Uh, so glad you're able to join us today. Oh, yes. So am I. Uh, it's been a long time coming, but finally we are here. We are here. And it's my understanding that you are the Performing Our Future organizer for Apple Shop. That's correct. So first of all, what is Apple Shop? So Apple Shop is this hub for all things Appalachian community media company. It's about 51 years old. We're just trying to capture stories that are are not really told about Appalachia and give you a different view of, of the stereotypes that you see. Oh, yeah. And so what is Performing Our Future? Oh, Performing Our Future is a project of Roadside Theater, which is one of the uh, programs of Apple Shop. Performing Our Future is a coalition of community organizers and artists spanning five states, Mississippi, Alabama, Kentucky, Wisconsin, and Maryland. It started off being sort of like a a space and place where organizers could come and talk about um, differences that they had, hardships that they had in trying to transform their communities. And now it has morphed into something beautiful where we've got this collective of people who all look different, but we have that commonality of love for our spaces. And so we've come together to share our knowledge and resources and think of ways that we can, can make our communities better. And of course, love for Appalachia. Shoot, yeah, I'm going to tell you, uh, I just recently found out that, that I am Appalachian. I grew up in uh, Columbus, Mississippi, and when we were in school, we learned that Appalachia was like what we would call central Appalachia, like Kentucky, um, Virginia, West Virginia, uh, Tennessee. But we never talked about the southern tip of Appalachia, which includes uh, Mississippi, Alabama, and parts of Georgia. Uh, I was doing some research for one of the delegations for Performing Our Future and happened to click on the ARC's website and they were listing out all the, the 13 states of Appalachia and Mississippi was one of them. I clicked on it and I saw that uh, I'm classified as growing up in an ARC-supported county. <laughs> so interestingly enough, I am Appalachia and definitely saw the the commonalities like come to life for, for me is because I was always saying, oh, my goodness, we're so much alike and we really are. Uh, so we're and actually that's another project of mine at Apple Shop of capturing the Southern Black and Appalachian aspect in stories and voices so that we can archive them and be a part of, of Apple Shop's legendary archive, but also educate people on the fact that, yeah, Appalachia is more than that, just that central region. Sounds like wonderful work. Oh, yeah. What's your hope for the work of performing our future? My hope is that we can be a blueprint for this country and the world to show that we can all come from different walks of life in uh, performing our future. We have people from urban areas, from rural areas. We have black, white, Asian, 
We have any Republican, Democrat, all the divides that you can think of. But out of those relationships, we have formed this bond, this type of love and care for one another. And I hope that our work for performing our future can inspire people to know that despite the differences or the divides that we have in this country, that you can find some common ground, you can work together, you can listen to each other, and you can grow something beautiful. Lovely. Now, before Apple Shop, you were a nurse. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was uh, right before I got the offer for a lead organizer uh, for performing our feature. I was actually when I got the call, I was actually working in one of the best pediatric clinics in Columbus, Mississippi, for one of the best pediatricians in the state of Mississippi, Dr. Ski. And uh, at the height of COVID, not the very beginning, like it was 2020. I think I got the uh, call in September of 2020. So we had got through all of the, you know, the newness of it, setting of protocols and everything, but it still was very mad and crazy. I got the call and I was so excited. First of all, I love nursing and I've always done community organizing sort of on the side or as a hobby. So getting the opportunity to jump in uh, head and feet first, it was an exciting time for me. Why did you first go into nursing? So my mom, she would always tell me, you know, she wants me to go to school. And, and I, if you know my mother, she's like, got to go to school, got to get an education, got to make sure you can take care of yourself, right? So all of that, I've got to pick what I want and, and uh, what I love and like to do. I started looking at the medical field and I shadowed at hospitals and did like candy striping a bit. And I was observing that my love for people wouldn't really be put to the test with being a physician because most of the time physicians come in there you've been to the doctor Beth you come in for a few minutes and tell you what's going on and then they're out of there but it was the nurses who really took the time to get you signed in and got your vital signs and, and really if, if somebody was afraid with a procedure or something they took the time to kind of care for you and I really liked that so uh, I started exploring um, what the possibilities would be like to become a nurse. And I became a nurse's aide first. And I got a feel for it to kind of see, you know, would I enjoy it? I love that. Even to this day, some of my, my fondest memories come at, from being a nurse's aide in a long-term care facility. I did that and uh, decided that I was all in. Went to nursing school. Got through that traumatizing time. And then at the end of the rainbow, graduated and became a nurse. What was your favorite part of being a nurse? During my nursing journey, I, I always said that I would never work with children. Uh, when I was in nursing school, I had, I had an experience with uh, scalp veins. And there was a small baby, probably I believe the baby maybe was a couple of months, and baby veins are very small. And so the, the most viable ones are usually in the scalp. And if you can imagine a young girl and a baby that's already in pain trying to do that. So I, I did do it. I didn't like it. And I swore that I would never do pediatrics again. Fast forward. 
the last five years of my nursing career have been spent doing um, pediatric care. I did in-home pediatric care, which is um, we had some medically fragile children that would leave the hospital and they would have um, NG tubes or G tubes, which they would get feeding through or um, uh, on a ventilation, have trachs. And, and I have to say that has been the most rewarding part of my career being in home health and doing pediatric care. Um, you get a chance to bond with the kids, with the children and the families. You know, you have to be very trusting. Um, you have to, there's a lot of different dynamics that go into doing home care, especially with medically fragile children. There's a certain type of care that you have to provide not only to the children, but to the parents as well. Support, encouragement, knowing that they can do what seems extremely hard, but it was very rewarding to see that these children thrive after care and uh, come out of those circumstances and graduate to other things. So that, that has been the most rewarding. And also every child that I cared for, whether it's five years ago or <laughs> three years ago, I'm still involved in their life somehow. Because, you know, you just you spend 10 hours a day with somebody, you just can't help but to, to love them and, and form that bond. So most re rewarding part is just being able to help people. Now, there's been considerable media attention about nurses leaving the field because of factors related to the pandemic. What influenced your decision to leave nursing? I can't say that it wasn't the pandemic because I'm going to tell you, when it first hit, it was so new and scary. And we had to kind of come up with protocols to, you know, keep everybody safe. I remember us being very, very um, cautious and actually trying to make sure that we would keep ourselves uh, safe as healthcare providers. That was very difficult. It was difficult to navigate. What pushed me, though, I think at the top of my nursing career, I said that I wanted to do everything that I could as a nurse. And I was an LPN, still an LPN, even though I haven't been practicing for a couple of years. I literally had completed every task that I wanted to complete, whether it had been doing some contract nursing, travel nursing. I worked in clinics. I, I did some... Uh, utilization reviews, which is like more like insurance type business. So I had really done my full round and topping it off with ending it at the best clinic, pediatric clinic in Columbus. When the call came through, I just saw the opportunity and I, and I jumped on board. And actually, it's funny now that I'm thinking about it. I uh, mentioned to the physician that I was working for. I said, well, you know, I'm going to do this training and I'll be back. And he told me, he said, no, you won't. you're not coming back here. Are you crazy? <laughs> you're not coming back. So um, that was something that inspired me to do it. I, I was ready for something new. A little bit less demanding, I think, now that I'm into organizing. I have to say that it is demanding not so much as, as it was during the pandemic, but I think they're probably a little bit tick for tat now that I'm in it full time. It's definitely demanding, but when I was nursing, I was able to tell you like how many shots I'd given and, and all of that stuff. So it's more slow progress than immediate results in organizing. And, and I'm adjusting to that. 
it's been two years and I'm still adjusting to that, but that's where I'm at. Some people have been very critical of nurses who left employment at hospitals to work as traveling nurses for staffing agencies, saying that the nurses were greedy. Oh. What's your response to that? My response is probably we need to take a look at our pay rate and, and how we're treating these staff nurses. Nursing, I would always tell my, my younger nurses, you know, we don't do it for the money because I don't think there's enough money to even equate what we're worth. And, and the same would be for teachers, you know, for people who deal with the public at all times. I, I think if you're if you have a problem with these nurses going to seek a better financial opportunity, then you need to take a look at your company and see what you're offering them. You know, most people won't leave a, a place in space just for the money. It's got to be something else going on there as well. And national data has shown an increase in patients being abusive towards nurses. Why do you think that's happened? I think because the lack of protection that's allowed to healthcare workers. It's kind of like in customer service where you go to a store and they say, you know, like, no matter what happens, the customer's always right. I think that's a big part of it. Um, there's not any legislature that I know of that protects nurses. And I think that probably is a large reason why people are getting out of it, because you give a lot in your nursing career. You give a lot of time away from your family. You give a lot of personal time away. You know, most of the time these nurses will work in uh, four on and two off. And one of those two, you're spending trying to catch up on your sleep. Um, and people are just feeling like it's not worth it anymore. You mentioned protection. What sort of protection do you feel nurses need? Okay, if you got Mr. Bobby, Joe upset and disgruntled and you want to give him his medicine and Mr. Bobby don't want to take the medicine from you, it's combative. If uh, Mr. Bob is a 250-pound, 6'2 guy and you're a 115, 5-foot woman, and he becomes combative, which means that he's fighting you. Do you think you'll need protection, Beth? Probably so. Yep. Be because even though, <laughs> and you're in a nursing role, Mr. Bob, his you. There's nothing that you can do. You can try to restrain him. You can, tr you can try to calm him down. And, and also, if there's other five feet, 100-pound women there, there's not much we can do with Mr. Bob. So I, that's what I mean by protection. And, and also... What if Mr. Bob injures this this little nurse? There's time off from her job, but does her job compensate her for, for that time off? Or is she using her own personal time off? What about insurance for if she if she needs to go to the hospital? Is that being offered? That's what I mean by protection. So you said if she gets injured, then what? My immediate response would be, well, surely she gets workers comp. Is that not necessarily the case? Not always. Not always, and I'm sure that there are nurses out there that can speak to that. These things are put, these systems are put in place, you know, like I think, feel sometimes like as as just like a nice bow or like these checkbox check there just to say that they have them. But I feel like, and this is not from my own personal experience, but from experience from other nurses, that when the time comes for those things to be utilized, the red tape is, is so much uh, to whereas most of the time it doesn't it doesn't happen the way that they say it's going to happen. 
Do you feel that there's been a decline in respect for nurses overall? Yes, absolutely. Um, I have this discussion most times about during the pandemic. I'm going to tell you something that really, I love the gesture. I love the gesture of heroes work here. That's great called the hero and and most nurses don't do it so they can be called heroes but after COVID kind of got under under control you know you hear nurses talking about COVID pay and what happened to that after the virus kind of settled down a little bit we got a lot of pizza parties we got a lot of paper signs outside saying you know heroes work here and things like that but there was no ongoing conversation about the raise in pay no ongoing conversation about even like things that compensate nurses for their time and their sacrifice I want to say this but I don't want to sound crazy but I kind of felt like nursing respect for is like we want you guys to work this pandemic, put yourselves at risk, put your families at risk. Because a lot of us, uh, when we came home, we couldn't spend time with our family because we had been exposed to that virus. So we had to stay time away from our family. And then after all of that was done, it was kind of like, oh, OK, y'all supposed to do that. Y'all nurses, that's what y'all signed up for. I do feel like it was we were there were more that I wish that there was more that the federal government could have done to kind of incentivize us for that time period uh, I felt like more could have been done for some of the companies because there was a lot of times where we would have to be rationing out uh, PPE we would have to come up with our own safety guys because you know COVID was this new thing so we were just kind of like creating things as they were going along and I don't I don't think that even to this day that nurses have got the full appreciation that they are due I'm thinking uh, heroes work here, banners and pizza parties are nice, but they don't pay for childcare or rent. Mm-mm. Nope. Or student loan uh, payments or, right. or food or, you know, to feed your family. So it was a nice gesture. Right. But at some point, at some point, we got to think beyond paper, paper banners and, and pizza. Now, switching topics a little bit, we've had several episodes on this podcast about systemic racism and what it means for patient outcomes. But what does it mean for healthcare professionals of color? Throughout my nursing career, I've oftentimes been mistaken for the aid, or and I live in Mississippi. I live in Columbus, Mississippi. Uh, when I was doing home health with uh, geriatric patients. Time, there were times when I would go to the homes and sometimes the patient would be in distress but wouldn't want to be seen because I was a black nurse, right? A lot of times that means walking away to uh, avoid confrontation. But my favorite interaction is when I force myself a little bit. I don't say I'm forcing myself, but I kind of talk to him and I say, listen, let me at least check you out. Let me at least listen to you and identify something that's that's wrong with you. You've got CHF and I see that you, I can hear that you're filled with fluid. Let me listen to you. Let me take your weight. And most times with that method, 
after a visit, I'm oftentimes getting an apology for the the preconceived notion that I wasn't informed enough or because I, I wasn't white that I, I was going to be a good nurse. There's things like that that happen. I have friends who talk about it all the time in a hospital where they are given a heavier workload or uh, looked down upon because of the color of their skin. And they get through these barriers by circumstances and and most of the time like crazy events that happen in which they have to show up and, and use their skills to save a life or to even assist someone who doesn't look like them in saving a life and and those barriers are broken in that way um, I think it's kind of sad that that even in this day and time we still have that going on or at sometimes I, I, I have a friend she does travel and nurse in uh, in Georgia and she shared with me that she has same nurse same amount of education and uh, she was questioning why one was in authority and she wasn't you know as a as a supervisor and she was not and and they couldn't answer her question and uh, there was a situation where the patient coded and the supervisor was instructing her to do something that she knew was against her scope of practice and she refused. She almost got fired because of it. But then because of her knowledge of her scope and her tenacity to, to find it in, in black and white, that she was able to call out some systemic racism, that she was able to call out some some fraudulent things that were happening and also she saved the life of that patient because if she had she if she had done what that nurse had ordered her to do the hospital those nurses they would all be liable i'm certainly sorry to hear that that you've had to deal with that as well as your colleagues now nurses often advocate for their patients do nurses have to go either further for minoritized patients i'm gonna say this as an as a nurse as a nurse, I, I don't. I love all of my patients, and sometimes when you have a minority patient or a patient who is not in the know of a lot of the terms and phrases that are being said to them, a lot of times nurses have, and I don't think it's written into their job description, but a lot of times nurses will go in and explain to the patient in. In, in layman's terms, what the doctor has said to them. Sometimes physicians, not all of them, but some of them, they're in a hurry to get in and get out. They use this medical jargon, and some of them, especially minority patients, don't understand what they're being told, and a lot of them are not in their hands. Uh-huh, mm-hmm, yeah. And you walk out, you go in as a nurse, and you say, okay, did the doctor tell you about this? And they'll say, yeah, and they'll have a puzzled look on their face because sometimes people are shy about saying they don't understand something. So as a as a, a black nurse, it, and I'm sure other minorities can speak to this as well about reading the room and, and just reading body language of your patient, you have to speak up and say, 
can or just roll back through it. All right, the doctor was telling us that you had uh, high blood pressure. Did he tell you about that? Or he might have said he's got hypertension. Well, what's hypertension? I've never heard of that before. Okay, it's high blood pressure. You know what causes that? Can you tell me about your diet? Let's talk about what you can and can't eat. Let's talk about this medicine side effects that you may have how often do you take it so being a minority nurse and I think it's important that we have them so that we can connect to our patients a little bit better you know sure I don't know anybody who likes to admit they don't know I mean it's no no nobody nobody wants to admit that you know yeah, yeah I got I went to the doctor I see this all sometimes it happened with my mom a lot uh, she would be <laughs> Mom, you went to the doctor? Oh, yeah, I went to the doctor. What did the doctor say? Oh, I don't know. What in the world? I started going to the doctor with my mom so that we can slow him down and say, okay, you you were saying this. Can you explain this to us? What does this mean? You know, or she's got a high A1C. Can you talk to us about that? What's a safe one? What's a safe range for her? What should, what should we be, be aiming for? And a lot of older people uh, don't like to to ask they don't like when you ask questions they don't like when you when you say I don't want I don't understand they're like girl you understand it you a nurse you know that but I I'm saying I don't understand so that they could take the time to explain it to both of us and we both can hear and we both can understand that thinking more about advocacy how do you think your background as a nurse has influenced your work with Apple Shop it's given me a lot of patience a lot of acceptance, accepting people for where they are, um, not trying to make every person fit in a particular space or place, lots of compassion to hear stories from different people from different walks of life. And I think that my, my base in nursing gave me all of those attributes. If someone was considering nursing as a career, what advice would you give that person? I would say first, check your heart. Check your heart to see if you really care for nursing because it's not just about shots and needles and <laughs> and wearing those nice scrubs and stethoscope. It's, it's more than that. It takes a special kind of person to be in nursing. And once you check your heart and you determine that you're in it to win it, keep going it's tough nursing school is not a walk in the park and I told my sister this just recently she's in school right now I think they make it hard on purpose <laughs> I think they try to see who's who's really gonna go for it so once you check your heart and you make your mind up that you're gonna do it go for it and try to be the best nurse that you can if your heart says you're doing it for the money run do not pursue do not go do not go past go do not collect $200 get into something else that gives you more money but if you're doing it for the love of people so that you can serve and help folks and educate people because you're going to be doing that in your nursing career then I say go full speed ahead go full speed ahead into it with your heart open and your mind open so that we can have the best nurses out here so last question, question I ask all my guests, if you could do anything, what would you do to improve in health and health care in rural America? Oh, if I could do anything, I guess it would be to give the resource of money to rural spaces for health care and health in America. Lots of rural spaces here in Mississippi 
Um, I was just reading about the Delta in our situation with the hospitals there. Our hospital, our only hospital, some of our only hospitals are closing because they don't have the resources to keep them open. And I find that that is the same in all, in all sorts of rural places and spaces throughout the country. I don't know what it's going to take if the government can assist or if any private foundations or anybody, investors can assist with that. But it's something that we need, these rural spaces. You know, we have one hospital per 200 miles sometimes. And when we don't have adequate healthcare systems, then the health of the entire area is affected and, and oftentimes declines. So if I could do anything, it would be to magically make enough resources appear so that we can have thriving hospitals and rural spaces. Well, I'd sure like to see that myself. Well, Tiffany, thank you so much for joining me here today. Well, thank you for having me. That's Tiffany Turner advocating for rural initiative funding. If you want to be part of the conversation about rural health, become a VRHA member. The Virginia Rural Health Association has over a thousand members throughout Virginia with a common commitment to improving health and health care for our citizens. Visit vrha.org and click the membership tab. You know how country music has the power to make you feel like everything's going to be okay? Getting an updated COVID vaccine can make you feel that way too. It protects against both the original COVID virus and Omicron. Start the season off right with your updated vaccine. Hey, that's something you can tap your toes to. Find updated COVID vaccines at vaccines.gov. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services.